listeners, welcome to the St. Andrew's CMR podcast. This podcast is in collaboration with students and staff at the University of St. Andrews. At the Center for Minorities Research, we explore the complexities, challenges, and opportunities, continuities and discontinuities, unity and rupture of the everyday lives of minorities in Scotland and beyond. Hello everyone, my name is Berus Buchani. Some of you will know me, some of you will not. I'm a Kurdish novelist and journalist. In May 2013, I fled Iran because of my journalism and cultural activities. I traveled to Australia by boat, but uh, never arrived. I was exiled to Manus Island alongside 1,000 other people. Manus Island is a remote tiny island in the north of PNG, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. This is my story. Hello, this is Paris Azarafian. I'm a recent graduate from the University of St. Andrews in Erasmus Mundus Masters of Crossways and Cultural Narratives. The topic I will be reflecting on today with you in an episode of the podcast in Center for Minorities Research, is examining the life of Perus Buchani through his memoir called No Friends But the Mountains. Buchani escaped persecution from the Iranian government for being a Kurdish activist. His colleagues at the news agency in his hometown, where he was working at the time, were captured and he knew he was next. He decided to leave the country and seek refuge from the Australian government. He was held in the Australian-run Manus Island Detention Centre and refugee camp in Papua New Guinea from 2013 until its closure. In this podcast, the life of Bujani, who portrayed the face of the faceless, is investigated. His Kurdish identity, his refugee identity, and how he wanted to represent them through his memoir. A memoir which was tapped on an illegally held mobile phone and sent through WhatsApp messages to a friend. Bujani's book received tremendous international attention and was granted Victorian Premier's Prize for Nonfiction and Victorian Prize for Literature in 2019, which is the most prestigious Australian award worth of $125,000. The polemic is that the prize has been granted to a man who has been detained by the Australian government and has never been allowed to set foot on Australian soil. In November 2019, Buchani was invited to Christchurch, New Zealand, on a one-month visa to give lectures, and he stayed there on an expired visa until he was granted a refugee status in 2020. He continues his work by challenging common perceptions of refugeehood, the phenomenon of imprisoned refugees and more. 
Please note that I will be reciting parts of Bouchani's poetry and prose translated from Persian to English by Omid Tofigyan, which are referenced in the bibliography. In 2021, the number of refugees who had been forced to flee their homes due to the conflict or persecution have surpassed 80 million and rising. But how do we see refugees and do governments and media portray them to be the ultimate other? Based on Brun's research in 2001, forced migrant identity reformation can generally be examined in three stages. Number one is the initial journey to seek asylum. And second stage is during the time spent awaiting a decision on the asylum application. And finally, the third is after receiving refugee status. As scholars have connected part of the construction of identity to place, oftentimes during their journeys and while waiting the asylum decision, asylum seekers are seen as people without a place. And I quote from the book, I have always despised waiting. Waiting is a mechanism of torture used in the dungeon of time. I'm a captive in the clutches of some overbearing power, unquote. While waiting, they are placed in a camp where they have a liminal existence without the protection of their rights under any state. Agamben puts the notion of the camp as a form of organization that the sovereign chooses, a pure and absolute biopolitical space. The camp is a new hybrid space. But refugees' identities transformation does not follow the common path of other hybrid identities. Identity has been associated with place for so long, and what happens when asylum seekers with no legal identity live in a space with no legal foundation? Do they continue to base their identity on their country of origin, the one that they had to flee because they couldn't find any safety in? Or finally, do they no longer have a part of their identity that is based on place? Quote, Depending on a group or a collective identity masks loneliness. It's a kind of escape route, a shortcut. This sort of collectivism first took shape through the shared experience of the boat journey. The fear and pain from a difficult journey affects those involved so much that they instinctly link themselves to a group identity with their fellow travelers. With time, this group identity based on the boat experience shifts towards other identities, such as language and nation. The population of the stateless around the world is more than the population of most countries. The refugee crisis comes with an identity crisis that needs to be explored. In my idea, this brilliant piece of literature written by someone who has been an asylum seeker and refugee himself can give us awareness, especially on the process of identity reformation and its triggers in a way that no article written by journalists or scholars can. Puchani broadens our understanding of a definition, and we're going to see how. In most of the media we see today, refugees are categorized by their unbelongingness, their rejectedness from communities on all sides. 
their undesirability, which creates common perceptions of the label, such as not us, but the other. An outsider, a broken person, someone with no background, non-modern, ultimately a refugee may be a counter-definition for citizen. Because the very idea of a collective national identity is embedded in exclusion and reliant on common attributes and aspects of lifestyles that refugees do not belong to. They often come from another race, religion, ethnicity, cultural identity, etc. Hence, they do not meet the specified categories of accepted identity, which makes them an alien. These attributes of national identity emphasize the differences between the in-group, us and self, and the out-group, them and other. The other is constantly constituted and reconstituted through the shaping and reshaping of the identity of the self and the highlighted contrast between the two. Therefore, it always needs an other to serve as its boundaries and its threats and vice versa. However, the question is how we let these assigned definitions define actual people. This is a kind of label that when it's assigned to someone, it wears off any other type of identity they have had or have. After being identified as a refugee, somehow the background of that human being gets endangered and culted or even deleted. It would not really matter what cultural identity background the person comes from or if that person used to be a mechanic or a teacher. Um, somehow that label explains everything and nothing about an individual. And somehow in search of physical security, the refugees lose their identity. Quote, The prisoner constructs his identity against the conception of freedom. His imagination is always preoccupied with the world beyond the fences. And in his mind, he forms a picture of a world where people are free. At every moment, his life is shaped by the notion of freedom, its basic equation, a cage or freedom, unquote. With the profiliation in numbers of refugees and refugee camps around the world, more questions rise about this label and what it stands for and how it defines people. Buchani and many others are asked to wait for years and years while they are stripped off from their identity, human rights, and dignity. Quote, Imagine a community of 400 people, neglected in a boiling and filthy cage, still traumatized by the terrifying sound of waves ringing in their ears and the sight of a rotting boat fixed before their eyes. For how long can they simply talk to each other? End quote. Apart from being a refugee, Bujani is a Kurd, which is an ethnic group of over 40 million who are scattered around the world, but mainly live in Iran, Iraq, Turkey and Syria. The stateless nations suffer from discriminatory behavior considering minorities in all the above four countries. Quote, For years I had pondered the mountains. For years... I had dwelt on the war involving occupiers of the Kurdish homelands, a war against those who had divided Kurdistan between themselves, an occupation that has devastated an ancient culture. 
an invasion that has decimated what was of cultural value to the Kurds, destroyed what was cherished by the Kurds, what was necessary for the preservation of Kurdish identity. End quote. Throughout his book, Buchani talks about a we. Who is this we? It is a new us, a given collective identity that is not about nationality, gender, beliefs, skin color, social background or class. He speaks about this group of people that are living together trapped in a system that has reduced them to case files. In the beginning of the book, we observe that each individual is described in details. Their behaviors, choice of words, friendships, coping mechanisms, etc. But as time passes on, all these particularities fade away and give their place to shared fear, stress, displacement, starvation, and serenity. And I quote, As the months go by, the prison establishes a principle. It makes no difference where a prisoner is from, what he has done for a living, his social status, or his age. In terms of the social dynamics of Manus prison, life in this environment is uniform. Ultimately, everyone is reduced to one social standline. This label may allow pity, condescending behavior, and it contains a sense of inferiority. The sort of behavior that we see in the book from immigration officers, journalists, chefs, the medical team, the guards, or the interpreters. And I quote, A few people were able to get hold of a permanent marker and drew a backgammon board onto a white plastic table. They began to play using the lids from the water bottles as counters. Almost instantly, a group of officers and plainclothes guards entered the corridor L and crossed out the game. They wrote over it in bold letters, Games Prohibited. It seemed that that was their only duty for the entire day, to shit all over the sanity of the prisoners who were left just staring at each other in distress. End quote. Why does Buchani call the camp a prison and the fellow refugees prisoners? Well, it's simple, because it has the characteristics of a prison. But there was never a court order, never approved crime, no opportunities for the prisoners to dis- defend themselves of a committed or an uncommitted crime, no legal reasons for this imprisonment were ever introduced. Buchani utilizes a notion called the Karaki system to represent what happens in the camps, a feminist theory mostly coined by Elizabeth Schuster Fiorenza in 1992, where a social system is built around domination, oppression, and submission. It is derived from the Greek words kiros and arche, which consecutively mean lord master and authority, domination, sovereignty. Puchani brings in numerous examples from the camps to establish his description of the Australian-run Manus Island prison as a character system and how he, quote, witnesses the function of the character system in operation. One where different forms of operation is not random nor arbitrary, 
but purposeful designed to isolate and create friction among, amongst prisoners, removing their individualities and destroying their identity, leading to despair and broken souls, end quote. Some of these examples are long queues to get food since only five people were served at a time, and another is having to put their ID number down for medical attention and waiting and waiting and waiting. There were lines to get a razor, and there was a generator controlling the water and electricity going on and off on a daily basis, sometimes for long periods of times without any schedule, which prevented the detainees to use the facilities. I quote, They share one razor and shave off their excess hair. As part of the care system of the prison, supplies are withheld. This is clearly a strategy for conditioning prisoners, forcing them to behave badly, end quote. I think Bouchani wrote this book against this kind of publicity and puffery that refugees are broken people who are saved by Western governments. The language of journalism works in tandem with politics and power, objectifying pain, and that is why Bouchani, being a journalist himself, has chosen the language of art and literature to create knowledge and awareness as opposed to the soul conveying of information that can be easily manipulated. He refuses to paint a picture that would be used to incite pity. He doesn't want to be mortified at He does not glorify or sanctify or victimizes the refugees either. Rather, he tries to demonstrate how humane and ordinary they are. His vocation seems to be proving that he did not need to be saved. He used his words to empower himself and keep his identity alive. I quote, For years and years, I contemplated finding protection within the mountains a region where I would have to take up the gun, a region where I would be amongst those who couldn't comprehend the value of the pen, a region where I would be obliged to speak their language, the language of armed resistance. But every time I pondered the glory and power of the pen, I would go weak at the knees." Different characters are introduced in the book who represented various types of people. The blue-eyed boy who died in the second attempt of reaching the Australian land from Indonesia on a boat. The friend of the blue-eyed boy, the hero, the smiling juvenile. Hamid who was killed in prison by guard. Maysam the whore, the gentle giant, the cow or the comedian. They all have different coping mechanisms and unique methods of handling their situation. I quote, once again, Maysam the whore has become a mirror for the suffering in prison. Covered by the theatrical mask of satire and comedy, the prisoners try to avoid facing up to the realities of overwhelming humiliation. There is no refuge, no sanctuary available except faith in Maysam the whore and his ludicrous mockery." End quote. Not only these people have to deal with intolerable levels of hardships, of a strange journey, which is genuinely a labyrinth of death, but also most of them receive the feeling of alienation and otherness, 
from a place they once called home and from the place they want to call home. Of course, many questions remain unanswered. This one refugee camp is closed, but what about many others still running in similar conditions around the world? What if their stories remain untold? What if the system that was developed to empower them aids breaking their soul? I believe that more scholars need to be giving this topic the attention it deserves. I would like to finish the podcast by citing a part of Guccione's acceptance speech for the Victorian Prize. I quote, When I arrived in Christmas Islands, I was called into the immigration office. I told the officer that I was a writer. He laughed at me and ordered the guards to exile me to Manus. I have kept this image in my mind. It was an act of humiliation. When I arrived to Manus, I created another image for myself. I imagined a novelist locked up in a remote prison. I maintained this image when I had to wait for hours to get food or while enduring other humiliating moments. This image helped me uphold my dignity and keep my identity as a human being. I have always said that I believe in words and literature and their potentials to make change and challenge structures of power. Literature has the power to give us power. Yes, it is true. I truly believe that words are more powerful than the fences of this prison. With humility, I would like to express that this award is a victory, not for me, but a victory for literature and art. Above all, a victory for humanity, human beings and dignity. A victory in the face of the system that has never recognized us, the refugees, as human beings and has reduced us to numbers. It is a beautiful moment. Let us rejoice tonight in the power of literature." End quote. I've been Paris Sagafian, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the CMR podcast. For more information, visit the St. Andrews CMR website, Facebook or Twitter. See you next time. Bye.